Hey, we are back and uh, welcome to another Forensic Happy Hour. Uh, you know, again, bringing on a, another expert in the field. And I, I think with uh, um, with Mario uh, Smalls, that we're going to, I think, have a, a pretty good take on it uh, and, and try. And you know what? I think, I, you know, as I was, I was telling before the show, is that to kind of maybe dive into it a little bit more, um, you know, now obviously we don't want to keep you guys, you know, too long, but, uh, you know, just kind of uh, some basics on, you know, that can maybe help out that you might have of the, the people who are, uh, currently in the industry or maybe people that want to get into the industry. I think it's going to be, well, I know it's going to be a, uh, a great show and I'm really looking forward to it. So fantastic. Um, it's good to see you, uh, Mario. Thank you again for being on the show. And, uh, I, you know, I, I know it's going to be good and, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of getting your take. I know that, uh, yeah, with, with James, when he was on the, when he was on the show and everything said that, I mean, said that you're the man and that's, uh, we had to make sure that, uh, we had and, and brought you on. So, so what I want you to do is, you know, let's. Let's get into a little bit, and, and I said you can start when you're three years old if you'd like, but, you know, give, give a little story of, you know, where, where your, you know, the, the path kind of started and what you're doing now. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Mars Smalls, thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to uh, this great uh, conversation. But uh, I started, I would say, I've just been a love of science since I was a little kid. I was that kid who always just loved um, not not only doing something right, but why does it work the way it does? And it's just kind of that analytical mindset. You know, one of my fondest memories, and I joke about this, and it's kind of a common thing when you talk about professionals in the industry. You know, taking part like family electronics, just to understand why why does it work the way it did? And obviously, I got in serious trouble because I couldn't put it back together. Family and parents came home, and they're like, well, "Okay, well, why is this?" A large a clock screw. and millions a of screw pieces that's here. Sitting. Yeah, and there's there's screw. Where does that go? Well, and more importantly, not only just taking it apart, but what can I do with it from there? Right. It was, and you know, as I tell people, I kind of grew up. Uh, I'm a child of the '80s and '90s, right? I grew up. I was born in '85, but um, really, the, I'm the AOL generation, as we all joke around, right? We grew up with the old school modems and having to wait forever to get on the internet and figuring things out. But, you know, I was a young teenager at the time, maybe, I don't know, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. Somehow me and my brother convinced our parents and we were, they were poor how to, to get a computer. I don't even know to this day how we even got one, this old rickety computer. And it was for, just went from there, you know, just spending hours and hours instead of doing schoolwork online, just trying to figure out where can I go? What can I do with it? Okay, why does this work the way it does? And, um, you know, as kids that, you know, there wasn't really a pipeline for cybersecurity back then or kind of. IT security, anything in general, it was just kind of people figuring things out as it as your own and, um, you know, making friends along the way. And some of them, you didn't really know who they were and hoping for the best. And I quickly realized like, hey, this, I loved playing with malware. But one of the fascinations that I had even as a 13 year old kid was uh, malicious code. And most people, when I, when I say that to them, when they ask me about that, it's like, what were you just trying to be a criminal? Like, what was going on with that? No, for me, it's kind of like, you know, like a doctor looks at some kind of new ailment and they're more of like the curiosity, like, wow, even though this thing is really, really bad, I want to understand why does it work the way it does? How does it actually work? So it's that curiosity, that scientific curiosity. And that's kind of where it came from. And I quickly realized like, hey, um, the path I'm going is not really necessarily condoned in this day and age, in this world. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to get snatched up by a three-letter agency somewhere or, you know, go to jail, basically, because there was no pipeline, go to school, go go do cybersecurity, you could do a traditional comp sci program, but I wasn't really interested in learning calculus. Sorry, just I didn't want to become an engineer somewhere, even though I probably could have. I just, it wasn't interesting to me. So I, I kind of joined the military from there because um, I always wanted to be in the military. So I left uh, New York City, joined the military when I was 18. Shortly after 9-11 uh, occurred, I was in downtown New York City when that all happened when I was in high school. So I was still very vivid in my mind. I uh, joined the military and... Uh, you know, went from there, just spent uh, basically 18, 17 years touring the world, 15 of those active duty. And, you know, now I'm in the National Guard. But I went from active duty infantry, you know, jumping out of airplanes, propelling out helicopters, kicking doors in, you know, the typical thing you think of the infantry. But we're always doing I was always doing IT stuff along the way as well. 
And most people, when they think of the infantry, they think of oh, just a bunch of grunts running around with a bunch of gear looking to break things, right? We're just looking to kick doors in and just come in that stereotypical, like almost call of duty mindset. But it was a lot more that we were doing. So my leadership, you know, realized, hey, we have somebody in this unit who's really math science intensive. In fact, uh, the standardized test you do in the military, even though it's kind of a funny to me, it's felt really easy when I yeah. did it in high Can school. Can you fly a helicopter? And it's, it's funny because it's like a sorting test, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like the military's version of putting the sorting hat on in Harry exactly. Potter and figure out where you're going to exactly. go. And based on that score dictates, you know, your future essentially, right? Um, so I scored really well, really high. I think uh, my recruiter had told me I was in the five percentile in the math and science section. And uh, my leadership kind of, as I started getting in the military, realized like, hey, we got this guy who has a real lot of math and science. I started going to schools for math and science, not your typical, how many push-ups can you do and we'll send you to the school. It was all about performance. So that's how I learned how to do like demolitions in the military. And they started sending me like these uh, almost pseudo computer forensics courses. And what I mean by that is you roll up to uh, an incident, you know, confiscate a bunch of cell phones. How do we take like cell bright tools and rip data out of them? And package things up and start doing some of that kind of low-level data collection, but that's still you know very good entry point into it because the data has to come from somewhere, right? You got to have those boots on the ground to collect the data for other people to analyze, and you know it just started going from there. Um, from you know years later, find myself as an instructor in the army, and um, while I was doing that, I was going to school, you know, for cybersecurity, and kind of realized. Um, with the help of my wife, I kind of realized I need to go back to school and really the military is great and all, but I want to be home for my family. I'm always gone all the time. I want to watch my kids grow up. So I went back to school, um, landed my first job as an intern for the state of Colorado doing cybersecurity and kind of took it from there. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my origin story in a nutshell, if you will. Yeah. And so, so, so taking that, obviously, it, you, you know, again, for people who watch the show, they they always hear me say, you know, uh, the majority of people that I talk to um, didn't necessarily, st well, all of them did not say, um, you know what? So I went to, uh, you know, I high school, graduate high school, went to college, went to college, and I knew from day one when I graduated high school that I was going to wind up doing forensics or I'm going to do cybersecurity. You know, to be in that, absolutely zero. You know, it's there's a lot of psychology people, there's yeah. a lot of different types of things. So, so what is it that all of a sudden you said, shit? You know what? I got to do this. This is this is part of my life because. You know, I, I want to continue to do that. So, I mean, what was that kind of that spark that you that you had? Because obviously, and I'm not, I'm not speaking for you, but you know, I mean, it 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 wasn't necessarily where you were going to go, right? So, so what is it? What I mean, what, can you remember a day or or, or, or something that just you said, okay, I got to do this? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, it was it's kind of multiple. I would say it's multiple events that kind of led down that path. Right. It's almost like you want to make a big decision in your life. And then you realize at some point later on reflecting on it, that there was multiple intermediary steps that kind of led down that path. It wasn't one singular event. Um, that's how it was in my case. So I always, you know, like I said, even when I'm in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq, I always had my laptop with me. I bought at the time. I was always tinkering around with things. And that was just kind of a hobby. But as I progressed further and further in the military, um, later on, especially, you know, the, um, I would say around 2011 or so, 2012, when me and my wife got married, I remember I was talking to her about thinking about going back to college because, you know, I'd left a, I left college. I was bored with school. It wasn't challenging, you know, all throughout my life up until college. And I was just like, hey, I want to go back to school because obviously the military is great and all, but I want to do something afterwards. I don't want to just, you know, be in the military my entire life. That's great. What happens after when I retire, however long I stay? And we kind of tossed around some ideas. She's, you know, we're talking about science. I'm great in science. I love science. Talking about doing, maybe becoming a physical therapist because I love physiology, things of that nature, right? And, you know, I've really narrowed it down to two decisions. Okay, both are science. Either I want to do something IT-based, right? And I didn't know that there was a pipeline at the time for cybersecurity. I was like, IT, you know, some computer science, something like that, or something like traditional sciences, right? Uh, become a physiologist, for example, things of that nature. And uh, my wife's like, look, you're up till who knows what hour of the night, every night on your computer, goofing off, not even playing games. She's like, I'd be happy if you were just playing games. At least I understand what you're doing there. 
you're out there taking things apart, reading up on documentation, trying to figure things out and self-teach yourself all this, what looks like almost archaic or, you know, arcane knowledge. Um, she's like, I really think you should go for something IT based. So I started doing some research and realized that there's more to the world than just, okay, your help desk guy or your network admin and so forth. And that's where I started just, you know, as I did more research kind of pursuit. And then I started falling into, as I read more, you know, traditional um, reading about forensics and malware analysis and things like that. And all it did was just revive that love that I had as a child, ripping apart malicious code. You know, looking at that and like, aha, this is the, really it just felt like a little kid in a candy store anymore. And it wasn't this, this is a hobby, now it became an obsession. And then from there, it didn't feel like an obsession, you know, in an unhealthy way, it was a constructive um, projects that I was doing, but it didn't feel like a chore at all. It was, it was just playing, you know, like when you play sports because you love playing sports, not because somebody told you you must go learn this. And that still carries on to this day as well. Yeah, so if, if, if you talk about that, especially on the malware side, because I know that this is this is kind of the, uh, if you would like a forte, but this is, a this niche is area. you know, kind of, yeah, this is where you want, right? And so, so what is it? Because, you know, with the computer science, you don't have, I mean, it's different types. What is it that, I mean, how, how can you take and, and be able to analyze static dynamic, however, that you're going to go and, and look at this type and to dis, decide how, you know, how it's going to interact. I mean, what kind of stuff do you need to know? Okay. Well, that's a, that's a very great question. That's actually a very common one that I get. So I always tell people, regardless of what you're going to do in cybersecurity, you need to know, have a solid foundation, regardless of what you do. So if you don't understand things like network protocols, right, basic security concepts, um, system architecture, you're not going to go far. Sure, you can regurgitate someone else's work or run some tools, but you never understand the why behind it. When that tool fails, you won't understand why and you won't be able to actually interact with the system or, you know, do something. Because everything has to follow, whether you're a pen tester, uh, you're doing... Um, you're an, a true adversary or even a blue team member. Everything has to follow networking protocols, right? The rules of the network. So you have to have that solid, solid foundation to begin with. From there, I look at it as, okay, um, you have to have some kind of programming background, uh, some experience. You don't have to be a developer, but you have to understand some basics in some of the languages. And the more you can code or script, the better off you will be. For instance, if I, I'll give you an example. I very rudimentary in C, C++. But understanding, because um, one of the first languages I learned was ironically Java. Um, when I went to school, that's the language they made most. When I was in college, we had to learn Java. Looking back at it, that was great because even though I am not a expert in C, C++, because of my exposure to Java, I am now able to understand more of that language because they come from a same construct. Syntactically, grammatically, they're similar. Same thing with like Golang, for example. So that it gives you that commonality to work from. You know, things that are non-strong type languages like uh, Python, for example, other languages that fit in that same category, you can figure them out because of that exposure. And obviously, the more exposure you have, the better off you'll be from there. Right. I think you that's, I, again, I think it's pretty important. Um, one is, is two, that you don't necessarily have to go in and have a CS degree to go into cybersecurity, right? I mean, that's, it, it, it comes down to... You, you still have to understand, right? I, I think that you hit the nail on the head, especially network protocols, right? Because malware doesn't necessarily say, hey, I just want to make your screen look bad. You know, it, it it wants to get outside, right? It wants to propagate. Absolutely. It wants to do that. So, so, so understanding how those conduits arrive and different types of ports and everything else it, it is extremely important, I think, right? So, so how... I guess, what are some recommendations that you might have too of, of, of having that foundation, which I 100% agree with you, is, is on the network, you know, the communication side of it outside, you know, um, say the intranet or even the intranet, you can actually go uh, obviously different. But what do people need to, what's, the, what's that basic thing that people need to do? Okay, so absolutely. Um... First, it's the first recommendation I always give people is non-technical. It's more psychological. I always ask people, what is the differentiation between a valid program versus a malicious one? You know, if usually if you people will come up with it eventually, it's always intent. 
a lot of time they're still following the same protocol, same understanding how a valid program may interact with the Windows API call, for example, still the same as how malicious one, you know, how I op how a program will open up a web page and try to interact with that at that low level, malware is going to do the same thing. You understand the intent behind it and why it's trying to do it. So there's that psychological aspect of it, right? And understanding, okay, these systems, we're not standing in mainframe type generation where everything's air-gapped, everything's isolated, everything's interconnected. So it's going to look to do something beyond potentially your system itself or your network. How does it go? Well, start templating in my head. Um, if I was an adversary or I was a malicious payload, what would I be trying to do? How are some of the common ways that I might be trying to get out of your network? Maybe I'm trying to propagate via SMB and find other victims that I'm trying to, to infect. You know, I steal the data. Okay, well, what do I want to do with it from there? What's the next step? I need to talk home at some point. Well, how am I going to do that? There's so many certain protocols. There's certain protocols you can use, like DNS, um, HTTP, HTTPS, et cetera, et cetera, to beacon out and get further instructions, right? So understanding how it's uh, not just having that foundation, but then you add in that layer of psychology of attacker mindset. If I was an adversary, it kind of adds more weight into how you're going to be looking for these things, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah, and, and so I'm a mobile guy, right? And mm -hmm. so I, I think, again, and this is my my thing, and 100% and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but so on the mobile side of it, is the intent you know, that you were talking about, the intent on, say, a mobile, some sort of malicious um you know say apk or some 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 malicious package that you have on on a device is the intent different there versus you might have on a um on that's going to infect say a network and let me just give you the example that and this is why mm -hmm. i'm thinking this is that from from what i see the intent that you might have is uh, for a mobile device is is for me kind of in a small way is almost a monetary side of it, right? Is that I'm going to try to make some money on it. I'm going to try to do this type of stuff of it just because it's a mobile device. However, I'm going to do this. But if I go and I look at, say, a system, um, I mean, look at look at a lot of the the hacks that you that 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 might be on on the network itself. It's not necessarily monetary, you know. Obviously, ransomware and all those others kind of sideways. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is actually infrastructure. I'm talking about um, bad things of, of, um, you know, we're talking state actor stuff. So is the intent different or is it pretty much still monetary? The majority, if we're going to talk percentages, right? I would say the intent in a lot of times is very similar, right? Um, it obviously everything's going to depend on the target and what I'm trying to achieve from that target, right? The intent, um, a government organization, I'm may not be caring about monetary. Maybe I'm looking for the R and D, uh, data, for example, right? Break in a defense contractor. I'm looking for some research project instead of some mom and pop shop, or I might just care about ransoming theirs, their systems to gain money off of them. So obviously it's all about the target and what the actual intent behind that target is. I would argue that, um, a lot of what you're seeing on the mobile side is very similar to, um, endpoints, traditional endpoints, traditional network. And I say that because think about it, we have our phones. I mean, my phone's tethered with me everywhere I go. It's, it, it's most of our phones, we have them synced up to our Google profiles, our Facebook, whatever we're connected to. So this just becomes an extension of your laptop, your desktop, wherever you're at, the data's still the same. So a lot of times it might be harder for me to get into your corporate system or your personal system. It might be easier on your cell phone because maybe your restrictions are less because you want to play games on your phone or because company policy, you haven't applied it on your phone or because you downloaded something for convenience that you might have not done on your personal system or your work system. Mm -hmm. So it's just another means to achieve the same goal, same intent, in my opinion. Yeah. And in, in and I, I kind of I didn't want to set you up for that, but I kind of did because I love Google because as an examiner and an investigator, mm -hmm. I love when other people use it. Absolutely. Um, you know, anything and everything that's tied to that, especially the, you know, again, the, cookies. the, the mobile device itself, everything it, it does not. It just it's just they want to know so much and they want to eat so much of of your profiles and everything else is that it's great as an investigator. Yeah, you could almost look at just their the 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 information that's laid out within Google or you know your Facebook, Instagram, or anything owned by Facebook or anything Absolutely. else of that to to 
completely obliterate some of the, and I, uh, that's a bad word, but you know, to, to, to be able to really paint a picture of, 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 of actions of a lot of the things that, you know, back in the day, you know, when I'm doing mobile device examinations, it's like, you know what, here's this flip. I'm kid you not. Flip <laughs> phone. Yeah. It only can hold like 25 messages that you might have on the SIM card. And you have that, you know, now we're talking hundreds of thousands, you know, obviously of communications and, 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 that, and that's, that's a small part of actually communication that goes out. Right that's going out and the communication that comes back to those types of devices. So let me segue into that is, is how, how much of a threat are mobile devices within the infrastructure of a corporate network or even would, a government network? Oh, well, I would say um, they're just as a threat as anything else, right? They're another tool that you use in your life. It's a matter of how do you properly secure it? How do you properly, if you want, let's say, you want to allow your employees to use their phones at work, maybe they segment them off to a guest network, or maybe they have to abide by certain rules. Maybe you don't allow them and you give them a work phone and you tell them, here you go, this is your work phone. It is only for work purposes and separate it. When I was a consultant in a formal life, my employee gave me a work phone and that's it. I had So I always had two phones on my personal and my work phone and I segmented everything off of it. If it, even if it was a Google search to look for something for that my wife wanted by, let's say she wanted new patio furniture, I was doing it on my personal phone, not my work phone, for that particular reason, right? And it kind of kept everything separated. The second second point, a lot of people fail to miss is that, um, and Google obviously we could talk years about what motivation they might have or why we think they're doing what they're doing, right? We'll leave that at that, but. Windows, um, the Windows operating system, right? Your phones, a lot of the data that they're gobbling up, it is not because they're trying to spy on you, but they're actually just trying to be helpful, inadvertently helpful, as I call it. Right. To us as investigators, that is a gold mine for us. Yeah. You know, every time I set a, um, a preference on my phone, there's all this metadata that gets set back there to remember it and keep it. Well, when I sift through it as an, an, anal as an analyst, whether I'm doing forensics on a Windows system or you doing on a mobile phone, that is a wealth of information, breadcrumbs that you piece together to paint the whole picture and put into context why they were doing, not only why, but maybe why their intent was, or was it them? Was it a malicious actor acting in their name, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's a, a lot of that data is there that people miss and they forget, well, Google's spying on me. Well, maybe not directly. Maybe they're doing it because they think by me getting this data, it will help me personalize things for you that makes it, your experience better. I don't know. No, no, no. You're exactly right. I mean, you're exactly right. Is that it comes down to we're lazy, right? Yeah. And so it's it's the same it's the same thing. If if you look at back in the old days, majority of all the iOS devices are going to be backed up via the cloud now. No longer you yep. tethered, right? That you're not going to tether it to to your uh, to your computer. But right, there was a pairing record that you would use. If if I plug it in and I'm going to go and hey, I need to back up my phone, or I want to plug it into iTunes or whatever, it communicates handshakes, everything else creates yep. a pairing record. You know why? So I don't have to enter that code in because I'm too lazy to do it. Absolutely. You know? And so, so it's, the, it's kind of the, it's, it's the same thing. And I, you're exactly right. It comes down to that convenience factor. But I mean, we can completely do a whole show on security, <laughs> on security that versus convenience, because the, the, the problem that these companies have, you know, the Apples, the Microsofts, the, the Googles have that fine line, right? Of we need to protect everyone's stuff. Um, but we can't make it so freaking hard for them to operate this device or to do what they need to do, right? Absolutely. I mean, obviously Apple moved it on. They're forcing, you know, it used to have to be this pin. Now it's now obviously a different pin that you have, you know, secure startup then with Android, all these different types of things that they're trying to make things more secure, but it just pisses people off because they're like, dude, I have to stand on my foot. I have to do this to even get into an, an application, right? Uh, now I got to put my fingerprint. It doesn't work. Okay, now I got to put a pin in, right? And so, so again, I think it's that it's that fine line. But the best part about that comes down to the ability to till. I don't want to use the word, but I will exploit that. Absolutely, be, because that's exactly what it is. I don't think they can ever. And there are many, you know. There's a lot of devices, a black phone that came out a while ago. People are like, dude, I didn't want to use this thing because it's too hard to do it. There's too much security. I don't want to do this. I'm not even going to. Right. And so 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 I think that it comes it, it just comes down to us relying on that human factor. 
Absolutely. Right? Trying to exploit that. And I don't think it's going to go away. I really don't think it's because, no. because people are the, you know, they're the persons that, that, that buy the product. So, I mean, do you think otherwise? No, I completely agree with you. It will not go away. And kind of going back to our previous comments about intent, the same methods that you use as an analyst, a lot of times that we as analysts in the community use to get after the information we need for a case, the attackers are leveraging those same techniques or similar techniques to get into a network or into a system. Right. But it just goes on intent. And uh, the problem is that a lot of people, um, they don't genuinely start con being concerned about these things, about security, about privacy, unless it directly impacts them. So if they do not see an actual effect, they're just happy living in their bubble. Right. Um, not to pick on my wife, but recently just to kind of demonstrate to her, you know, some of the issues because she's, you know, I talked to her. I was like, hey, did you see about this on the news? And she's like, no, she's like, I don't really care. I glanced over it. I really didn't care about it. I was like, OK, as a demonstration, I'm like, how fast do you think I can get into your system? Your, your laptop. I don't know your password. I was able to guess it based on her patterns, based on observables that she's done, even though I do not know her password offhand. I was able to quickly, I think it was the third try I was in. And she's like, well, how'd you, why? I was like, just to prove a point that if I can do it, do you not think someone else from malicious intent can, can't do it? Yeah. And then yeah. she kind of realized like, okay, what do I need to do to fix this? And I started going through the whole thing and she was, her eyes just glossed over. Why do I need to do all these steps? Why do I need to lock this down? Why do I need to change all my passwords, have password vaults, have password phrases instead of guessable passwords and she's the exact same response this is inconvenient for me i just yeah. want to get online get on facebook get wherever i need to so that way i can do my day for me i'm ready to rip my hair out i'm like no this is how you get exploited by the attackers but i mean that's 90 percent of the entire world's population is exactly that right is that, well, if you look at any breach or you look at all these others, if they dial things back, it always comes back to that person that's sitting there behind Absolutely. the keyboard or whatever that accepted something. And it's no fault. I mean, this stuff's getting pretty sophisticated that they that they might, that they go through. And I mean, there's whole, you know, what's spilling, you know, spending thousands of dollars a month on phishing exercises that people now, that, that it, or the people that developed these systems were actually the fishers that did it before, right? that develop these systems. Now they're like, Hey, do it for good, which is great. Right. Um, with the education side of it. But I mean, how about the last year and a half, you know, talk a little bit about that, about, I don't want to say target rich environment, but you have these people that are working remote and from their home systems and, you know, the time to surf at, on the gap or Facebook or anything else and doing this stuff, but while doing their work, because they don't want to go and get another laptop, they're going to use this stuff. I mean, what, what is, does that bring a completely new, um, I, I don't want to say issue, but it is an issue, I think. Yep. Um, so, so, so how do you see the next year of having to deal with the last year and a half? So interesting you bring that up. I would say that, um, once again, I don't think much has changed. I think it's only gotten worse and, and it's bringing the problem more to the forefront. And it's not just us security guys or gals uh, yelling in the background saying, hey, this is a problem. You need to fix this. You can't be on your home network that's not secure looking at your Gmail, for example, while you're on your corporate laptop doing other stuff at work for HR accounting. It just becomes it's every it's in everyone's face now. And now that's why it appears to be a greater issue than what it is, I just think. And the attacks are only going to increase, right? If everyone's at home, well, guess what? These are weaker systems than at work. There's, I think, uh, from when COVID onset, I was remember looking at some kind of general generalities, general numbers. There's been an exponential increase in attacks, right? Um, last year, there was billions of dollars worth of ransoms that occurred. I mean, look at Garmin, for example, the damage that they did on when they broke into their network. And... Garmin's with us almost every day. You know, we have medical systems that use Garmin for navigation, military, et cetera. The list goes on. And that was, I think, numbers put it everywhere from like 50 to $60 million total cost. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this is only going to increase. It's only it's here to stay. The problem is a lot of people don't understand what do we do with it? How do we lock this down and make it a um, more resilient network, maybe more resilient for our corporate network or we put in some safeguards in there, you know, things like. Well, you're only allowed to on your corporate network. We lock it down. You're only allowed to use certain applications that we've deemed necessary. If you're HR, you probably only need to, let's say, log in, go to something like a Bastion host, and then go from there, VPN out from there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's many ways to kind of slice it. I just think that now 
it's gotten the attention it needed for so long. Yeah, the problem that we have, though, again, just coming back to the human element, is that they're like, dude, I got to do what? No, I'm going to hook to my home Wi-Fi, or you know what? I'm going to go to the Starbucks and just cruise around there mm-hmm. because I can do, you know, so so again, it comes down to people. Uh, you know, in, in, in trying and trying to, to, to understand that side of it. So, you know, before I ask you the next question, um, let's, let's do proactive, you know, what are the people, what, what can people do to, you know, I guess limit their exposure while they're working from home or why they're doing remote? I mean, what can a corporation tell people to do or an IT person can tell those employees to do? To help them. Well, so I would say it also it starts from policy, and I'm not a big fan of policy, but there's a time and place for it, right? If acceptable use policy, have it granular, specifically spell it out and hold your employees accountable to it. If you tell them they cannot play, I don't know, let's say they can't play Xbox while they're at work, then so be it. You know, hold them to it. Um, so it starts there, but also doing things like, okay, um, I'm not going to let you just directly connect to the network through unsecured credentials. You're in some a node access point, you know, it could be a Starbucks and it's connected to some rogue device that someone set up saying Starbucks Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi, right? Even though it's not the Starbucks Wi-Fi, well, maybe you need to go and VPN in first, right? You need to go or go and hit the bastion host, like I said, right? And then from there, you can move out into the network. So you have that intermediary layer. You're basically trying to, I would call it almost take the human element out of it or kind of zero trust. I don't believe you're going to be secure, so I'm not going to assume you will be. You have to prove it to me. Um, things like HIPS checks. Your computer tries to get on the network. Does it meet certain patch levels? Does it have a certain operating system? What is actually on there? And if it meets those checks, then it can be on the network. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it cannot. Yeah, well, um, 100% piss people example, off when you do that. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> and that's where the leadership needs to look at it of an organization and say, okay, what is our acceptable tolerance? What level are we willing to go to it? And we need to stick to it. If we want to... Only certain individuals, let's say HR, because they're a greater target and finance for phishing expeditions um, because they know attackers know they're the ones that can get all the resumes and all the bills and everything. And their job is to look at documents all day. So how easy would it be to send a PDF file that's a malicious document when it's masquerading as a resume? Right. Yeah. OK, well, there are certain things I can do. I can't allow you to just go open up whatever application you want. Maybe, yes, you can get to those things that you need, but. You need to authenticate first and you can't have them resident on your system. You have to go into the secure environment first and work from there. Mm-hmm. So, so you, maybe you have to segment it based on role and responsibilities. So so talk to me, talk to me about really, I don't want to say soup to nuts because that might take a little while. But I mean, mm-hmm. so so. I mean, what are, what's your typical of, of, I guess, response, right? I mean, what, what is it that, you, you, you know, you say you identify you know, how do you go in and determine if it's malicious? I mean, what kind of what kind of tools? What what are you doing? How can you help people that matter getting into it, or people that have been doing it for a long time? They're like, oh, that's a good absolutely. Idea. I mean, what are some things that that you can go in and and I guess you know teach people of of, okay. of you know from from an event to resolution? Absolutely, and I'll start first for the non technical answer. I guess that a lot of people don't like to hear is constantly read. Read, 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 keep up on new attacks that are going on, new um, exploits, new thing, advances in system architecture. You know, Windows released a new uh, version of the operating system or patch, whether it be Linux, Mac, you know, phone, your phones. Um, read up on it. Learn about the nitty gritty details inside of it so that way you know how to interact with it. Okay, so that's first. It's just like if I'm going to be a doctor, I want to analyze, uh, you know, a virus. Well, if I don't understand how the human body works, I'm never going to be effective at analyzing that virus. It's always just be black box magic to me, right? So I would start there first. So, and that's a constant. That's a constant learning. Just like a doctor, it's constantly learning and constantly keeping up with new advances. From there, um, applying the analytical mindset. So I almost apply a scientific reasoning to it, right? So I have a sample. Let's say I receive something. Could be something from my Google spam folder that I'm just curious to see what I got, or an organization, or I got an alert. Let's say on our EDR tool or SIM, and I'm looking at it and trying to determine what what is this? Is this malicious or not? So first, I look at it kind of what information do I have surrounding it? Was this a email that came in that looks suspicious? Maybe I need to go analyze the email headers, for example, and start looking at that. Look at the conversation. I contact. You know, Sally at HR, were you expecting this email? Do you know this person? Is it valid? 
right? Just because I sent, let's say it says that it's under my name, were you expecting that email from me? And if so, was it the content that you were expecting? We were talking about, let's say, a uh, payment for a services render. Was that indeed what the invoice you were expecting or is it something else? So I approached that part, that human element first, because I can kind of control that. I can suss that out and make a quick determination before I have to start doing things like reverse engineering and in-depth analysis because that's very time consuming. Mm -hmm. So start with those low hanging fruits first, right? You work from there. So let's say that doesn't pass the eyeball test or I have some doubts about it, right? Maybe maybe Sally at HR told me, yes, I wasn't expecting this. You know, it's I don't know if it's malicious or not, et cetera. So once I actually start getting that payload, um, I don't know, let's say it's an executable, it's an example, or maybe a macro-laden document. That's always your fun ones, right? Um, but an executable, even simple things like start off first, low-hanging fruit, hash that file, get your MD5, SHA-1, SHA-256 hashes, uh, figure out the file type. Just because it says it's a .pdf file, it may not be a .pdf file, don't trust it. Windows tells you it's a PDF. Well, what does a magic number, the actual content inside of it, tell you? Uh, the common trick I used to show people is uh, what happens if you put a second extension on there? How's Windows going to read it? Is it an EXE or is it a PDF now, right? And which one is it really? Well, if an operating system can't discern it, it uses the magic number and regardless of what the extension is, right? Linux is smart about it and, and so is OS X that they don't care what the extension is. You can run files without extensions and still work fine. So get that information first so i figure out okay this is a let's say 64-bit executable all right based on the magic number um so you can run the file command for example or open up a hex editor and actually take a look at the first couple of bytes right is it a valid executable uh the zero and one byte in the windows executable will tell you if it is right you'll see the mz or 4d5a in hex or it might be flipped so zm um 5a4d that's the hex sequence in the bytes and that's just based off the creator of ms-dos so do you do this, do you do this in a contained environment like a VM that you build? Absolutely. So I have multiple analysis environments, right? And actually not just a VM, um, I have physical systems as well. And the reason why I say that, so I have what I call my staked goats, right? The lab boxes that are, they're guinea pigs. If I have to burn these things down and rebuild them, so be it. They're old uh, systems that I've had around the house that are just there for lab rats. Right. Why? Because some malicious code looks for anti-sandbox technology, right. Right? right? It does even things, simple things like um, not just looking for what type of you know antivirus software you're running or if it's in a, a VM, but looking, querying the actual CPU and seeing what are the instructions set inside of it. Right. So I've seen that before where I'll look at the 31st byte inside the actual CPU and that'll tell you what type of system you're in, if it's a physical or virtualized environment. Right, so I have these physical systems that I can now go and infect and see, does this malware behave differently in a physical versus a virtualized environment or will it run at all, right? Um, you know, and so I get that initial data, as I was saying, and whether I'm doing a containerized environment, um, air-gapped you know, air environment, my own lab environment or VM, and start doing some research from there. What do we know about it? Okay, well, some other researchers may have already found out what this thing is and figured it out. Do I need to go through and do this whole extensive research on it or analysis? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe for the situation I have, what other people I've read up on it or VirusTotal has shown about it might be enough to remediate that situation, right? So it's always looking for what is the most biggest bang for my buck without having to waste time because um, attacks are never ending. Just because I have one sample doesn't mean another one might, come, might not come after it. And uh, reverse engineering is a very time-consuming process, right? Um, but if I have to continue down that path, then from there, I start doing basic static analysis, right? Things like looking at the strings content, looking at what API calls are actually in there. Is this sample packed? And if it is packed, um, how do I unpack it, right? So I'll give you a classic example, the common UPX packer, the universal packer. Um, that's a very well-known one. And you know, um, there's very easy ways to tell that it's packed based on the section data. I will see, you know, things like .upx0, upx1, et cetera. So that gives me that clue right there that this is packed. And most people will tell me, well, okay, what's the big deal about that? I usually come back and tell them, how much legitimate software do you often see that's packed in some way, shape, or form? And they kind of stop. I'm like, we're not in the 1980s where we have bandwidth restrictions and we need to pack our software in order for it to traverse the network or go to get there. Those days are over. Um, you know, major software companies, sure, they'll use their own protection methods, proprietary methods, but they're not going to use your off-the-shelf UPX or, you know, and advanced attackers will create their own protection methods, sure. But very, very few times, unless there's a very uh, valid reason, you're not going to see packers in just common software. Mm -hmm. 
something that doesn't happen. You know, I can see cryptors, you know, I can see protectors, you know, things like that going on. There is a very limited, a very specific reason why you're doing that. Stop. You're trying to stall the analysts from figuring out what's going on. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Keep no, the same train of thought. Keep going. But the one other thing I want to ask, too, is um, are the majority of these, especially the malware side of it, um, built upon um, other malware? Or are you seeing unique? You know what I'm saying? Is I mean, they're like, yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Is that the reason why they're not, uh, you know, obstacles? Yeah, I've had a couple beers. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and packing these just because of that? No, um, the, well, a lot of times why things get packed, even in your run-of-the-mill code, is just to delay the attacker, delay the analyst. You're trying to waste your time. Yeah. They know, given it's like passwords, right? Given enough time, any password can be cracked. It's kind of the same with code. Given enough time, someone's going to figure out what is it doing. It's can I get, can I delay you and frustrate you long enough that either A, you're going to stop, you're going to get frustrated and stop analyzing, or B, delay you long enough so I can get my end goal as an attacker. I can get after my end goal, whether it be data exfil, spreading to another part in there, whatever the case may be. Um, as far as code reuse goes, it is quite common, even from not just a run-of-the-mill attackers, I would say you would have um, a high majority of code is reused in some way, shape, or form, right? It's just like having DLLs on a system, right? Libraries for any other language. If you read some code that does, I don't know, let's say hashes a file for me, why create my own hashing algorithm, my own library? I can just reuse that as a Lego block to be, right. plug it in. Um, you know, even you see advanced attackers a lot of times do this, not just because they're lazy, but it might be a tradecraft method. Yeah. If, because it looks like it's commodity work or right. someone else's work, I can obfuscate, I can obscure myself as the attacker. Right. So there's multiple reasons why they do that, not just out of sheer laziness. Sure. 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 You know, so there's a good amount of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so, so moving on to that, obviously identifying, doing the static and, uh, you know, the analysis of that, do you move on to obviously dynamic on those sheep, which I am going to use that analogy all the time. Cause that's the best thing I've ever heard. Stick so, notes, I yeah. mean, so, so do you move on to dynamic? Is there a point that you're like, Hey, I'm not, I don't need to do that because obviously I identified this mm -hmm. and the insert Absolutely. points or whatever. Absolutely. And um, once again, it's all situational based. So if I'm in an incident response type situation, you know, obviously I'm trying to get those indicators of compromise out to my peers that are working with me. So a classic example, James and myself have done several incident responses together. I might find something in that payload that might be a trigger for James to now do threat hunting into a network to look for other things. So I'm generating leads and it's a constant feedback loop where we're feeding each other information and say, hey, Based on what I see in the static analysis, I see that it's trying to make a, based on the API calls, it's trying to make a call to this mm. onion domain. That might be a trigger for someone like James or someone else doing threat hunting or doing network forensics, for example. Now I'm going to go look at pile through logs and start doing threat hunting and see, is there any other systems that may have tried to connect to the same domain? Mm. And that might generate more information that in turn might help me while my analysis is occurring. So it's a constant feedback loop that you need to it's not happening in a vacuum for the most part, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, based on the information I'm gleaning during static analysis, like I said, example, you know, uh, doing strings and I start seeing registry key writes. So I see read write or reg, reg query, reg writes, you know, certain API calls or indicators of actions potentially the malware might take. Um, so, if, uh, and I say potentially because you don't know, it could be junk code, it could be code there to waste your time. You don't know until you actually see it executed, it starts debugging and stepping through it. But based on the information, I start formulating my hypothesis. So based on these registry keys, I believe that this malware will attempt to make a outbound HTTP request to this domain, right? I see that, you know, based on this domain that's hard coded in here, for example, this looks like it might be the C2 domain, right? From Okay, so from there, that might be, hey, let's set up a proxy. Let's get the data and see, does this thing actually communicate to it? what other follow-on information can we get? Maybe there's another stage. Maybe that malware I'm looking at is the loader and not the final payload. Oh. So it might, it can start escalating from there as you see. So it might be just continuous, you know, spider webbing outward. But based on that information, um, if I am able to find a remediation, then I stop there, right? If I cannot, then I'll start going from basic static analysis into dynamic analysis. Dynamic analysis, as the name implies, it's I'm actually running the code. It could be in a debugger. It could be me just simply as a interacting like a normal user. I want to see what happens at the user's perspective. So I, 
you know, snapshot my VM, for example. I have all my tools ready to go. So I have um, my proxy set up, whether it be Burp or something like Fiddler. It's already ready to capture and be the intermediary for me. It might have Wireshark open. Uh, depending on the situation, I might have my box and the gateway might be to another system, another analysis system. Mm. So that traffic gets piped through because maybe I think the malware is looking for um, certain tools that might be present on the system. Like I had a payload one time that looked for a process hacker and if process hacker is present, it would kill process hacker and kill itself. You know, so you have to kind of look at it almost like it's like a 2D, it's like a chess game you're playing against each other, right? Right. I might try a, based on the information I have, an analysis technique that doesn't work, then guess what, revert your snapshot, reset your tooling again and be like, okay, well, based on what I learned at this stage, I know that the team is looking for these set of tools or maybe it needed elevated privileges. Now I rerun that payload with elevated privilege and see what happens. Yeah. So it's a constant back and forth based on the information I have. Okay, maybe I give the malware a little bit more access or a little bit more permissions and see what happens there and keep almost yeah. trying to force it to reveal itself to me as we're going through it. So it's a trial and error, right? I mean, it's not Absolutely. someone someone's not going to jump into and say, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to run this once or or I'm going to do this." And if if it doesn't work, they're like, "Oh, you know what? Sorry." I because you don't know, right? You're looking for Absolutely. action. You're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Now, it's 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 almost like I'm trying to remember what movie that is. It's like rewind and then you do it again, right? Rewind again and yeah, do it, yeah. right? Because you're seeing what the action is. You're like, oh, okay, perfect. I know exactly. All right, let's go back. So, I mean, that's pretty, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, that's really, really cool stuff. Um, and so, so, so once you, I mean, how, how long does that, obviously it depends, right? That's the word. But, 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 but typically, you know, something that you're like, wow, this is either, yeah, I've seen it before, um, either, you know, by signature or whatever, something's changed mm -hmm. or something is, you're like, yeah, I've seen this before. I mean, how often is it that you're like going, dude, this is some good stuff, you know, as uh, in someone came out with some good stuff versus every once you know in a while. I've seen this stuff. Every once in a while, I find a new sample that I'm like, wow, this is almost like my nerd curiosity takes into effect. And I'm like, wow, even though I need to I, meet this person. No, well, yeah, but in, and it's weird because you start looking at samples and you start getting an idea of who it is based on how the code was written, whether it's, right. this was a professional, this was an amateur, it was a group of people because the coding styles might be different, you know, um, they leave maybe their different trademark or how they call variables, how they set up their functions might be different person to person. So you're like, okay, maybe there's a team going on here, right? Um, the example of like the crew that uh, was building a Emotet for the longest time, they would go through this software development life cycle where they would release a new module, new functionality for Emotet and potentially TrickBot. You know, there's some collaboration between the two attack groups. And um, what they would do is that that would work. And when it no longer worked, you know, maybe the industry got onto their attack methods. They reverse the code, figure out the new module does, figure out some defense mechanisms. Then they go to ground for a couple of months at a time. And then they would come back, you know, three, four months later with a new method. It's like they would go through this whole process of, okay, well, this ended. How do we get a new technique, new system down and start going through this development life cycle like professional developers do to release out a new product? They like have a scrum meet. I mean, they're like, hey, let's just it almost it. feels like, yeah, right. So, so what? So, so they once their PM standing there telling them exactly they're like, dude, this is the way we need to do it next time. You know what? Um, so, so. If you take that right, you're you know you get to the start of okay the remediation side of it. You're like okay, fantastic. As a bitch, and I have this. This is good. We can go and do that, right? What happens after that? I mean, is there any is there any time that you're like, yeah, we need to identify who these people are because of X, Y, and Z, or we have, or or is there a repository? I mean, what do you do with that information? Obviously, you're like, hey, we secure this, fantastic. But I mean, what do you do with that information? A lot of that's all dependent on what your end goal is. If I'm in an incident response type situation, is attribution necessarily needed? You know, maybe if they broke into some financial information, for example, or there's another bigger, there's a big part of the right. breach, or maybe there's something like fraud going on where I need to alert like uh, the FBI, you know, things of that nature, that's a different story. But in a common incident response situation, we're looking to triage, you know, uh, remediate the situation, right? Get the company to a state where they're, the bleeding is essentially stopped they're triaged and they can start rebuilding or get themselves back operational. So in that case, attribution, it's, it's kind of icing on the cake, but we don't need it to have a good cake. You know what I mean? I need so, that information to remediate so I can get them going again. 
so the, the the reason the reason why I'm bringing that up is because you know and and again this is my layman's thing on it is is, is that you know a lot of people reuse code they 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 wind up they have the, I mean you kind of see the same same things I mean is it do you think it would be be beneficial to to actually have a I don't want to say signature because it's not necessarily a signature as in hash type of stuff but but some repository that you have some sort of analyst that can go and say, oh yeah, we identified this group, I mean, this group who's, who's creating this. And I know that there are groups that do that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's cause, cause I know that people that, that do this for certain, for companies, you know, your regular corporations that might not um, be government based yeah. is, yeah. is like, Oh, fantastic. We stopped the bleeding. Uh, let's move on to the next one. But I mean, should there be some sort of community, community between Absolutely. those people that are doing that, that, that they can share the experience, right? Yeah. Is there, is there something out there? There is a few things and to kind of the ER, the IR mindset, right? It's almost like playing an ER doc. You're like, okay, the patient's stabilized, time to move on to the next trauma patient and keep going forward from there, right? The um, One of the problems I've noticed in the blue team side of the house, the right team, the attackers, pen testers, right? It doesn't have to be actual, you know, true criminal adversaries. Um, they're amazing at information sharing. They sit there, they have all these forums and all these techniques, they talk, converse with each other because they don't look at it as almost like you're you're on my turf unless it directly impacts your operation. Whereas in the blue team side of the house, it's almost like this uh, and not so friendly competition. I'm a consultant, you're a consultant. Why should I tell you, or I'm a, a vendor, you're a vendor. Why should I tell you how I found that threat? Because now you're cutting into my bottom line instead of looking at it as like, how do we secure the industry as a whole? So part of it's the mindset of it. You can use things obviously like MITRE's attack framework, which is great for tactics, techniques, and procedures and how attackers do it. Um, you know, obviously there's threat intel corporations out there that they make their living just on threat intel. Um, but obviously that's a subscription you gotta pay for it. And they're not sharing with anybody else as I just said earlier. Um, so there are some things you can do, but a lot of it, unless you're doing your own research, you're not gonna really find a lot of it to be honest with you. And also to make matters worse as a defender, you know, when you show up to an incident, how often, even in your mobile forensics uh, investigations, how often do you have every single piece of data you need to make a full com conclusion? Yeah. There's, you know, logging's missing. You have everything but, at you know, someone brute force from outside the network, let's say. The logs might have rolled over because they were inadequate in size. Well, I might have everything up until that initial point. Yeah. So you have a lot of missing pieces you have to kind of piece together and figure yeah, out what's think, going on. I think that's a pretty good analogy if you look at the mobile forensic side of it because it's it, it's a pretty competitive environment. Unfor I don't want to say unfortunately, obviously. I mean, well, yes, kind of. Um, it, it, it's changing though, you know, and I think, and I don't want to say COVID changed this or, you know, us being locked up, but I think there's been a, a, a larger community of people that are like, yeah, you know what? this is just BS that we, you know, Absolutely. we need to continue to go in and need to share, you know, like Alexis, I mean, he has, I mean, there's, there's open source tools. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot more community. And, and, and so, I mean, it, it only helps, right? Because it, I don't, I'm, I was going to cliche phrase. I'm not going to do it, but it's, it's, it, you know, Oh, I keep wanting to say it, but I'm not going to, is that, yeah, the thing is, is you might see something that's exactly what someone else is going to see, right? We all are working, working for the same reason, right? Make the world a better place type of thing is that we want to go in and protect our environment because a lot of the actors, and that's just me, are from out, uh, you know, out of state and out of state. Out of country, um, you know, so, so we, it, that, that's a thing, right? And so does it come down to money? No, I don't think it always comes down to money. I think a lot of it comes down to personal ego and pride. They want to say, I found this and you did it, right? Almost like, it's almost like a uh, measuring contest, if you will. Yeah. All right. It's kind of that bragging rights. Well, I reversed that code. You didn't. But look yeah. at you, right? Yeah. Uh, part of it also, and I agree with you, it has gotten better in recent years, uh, primarily this last year, year and a half, is that um, where's the reporting mechanism? Where do we have to centrally drop off information? You know, sure, you, you know, if a case warrants it, you might go to like, you might have to reach out to the FBI or the uh, Secret Service if it's, you know, dealing with like money, for instance, money laundering or type things like that. But the problem is a lot of these federal agencies, they never talk to you again. Right. You give them the information, you say, thank you, bye. And then you never hear anything about it. And you're like, okay, well, how does that help me? 
Yeah. Okay, I you mean, ran I off mean, my that's... information. I got nothing. In a non-government service type uh, situation, where can I drop off the information? There is no real collaborative initiative, and a company's not going to pay for it out of their own pocket. Individuals may not have time or effort or ability to manage that themselves. So it becomes this kind of disparate, you know, hunt for information. Yeah. So th- thinking of time, right? I mean, if someone has has already seen, I mean, kind of the, and I keep, I want to say signature, but that's not the right word. You know, the same path, the same functions, the same Absolutely. things that that you're that you know they've they've seen that. Do you think? I mean, what's the time saving side if you're able to go in and say, you know, function? I'm going to take your shit type of thing and search it up in this little, uh, you know, community. Here's the function name. You know that you're able to like, mm-hmm. oh, you, you know, but it doesn't exist. And so Absolutely. again, I think you're exactly right. It comes down to those people that have said, yeah, I did it. Why am I going to share that with anybody else? Because it's job mine. security. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, unfortunately, I think that's again. Why does it always come down to the human element, right? Nice. Human element of breaches and then human element of not helping out. So how can we help? I mean, how can we go in and, I mean, is it is this something that needs to start? Maybe some sort of Absolutely. community that's able to go in and have some more communication? Absolutely. but And I think the biggest part is... Uh, you know, you're not, we're not going to get buy-in. Even if we started something tomorrow morning, you had all this backing with it. Until people check their ego at the door, it's not going to happen, right? Until they realize, like I used to tell my my soldiers when I was uh, in the military, still active duty, don't worry about being recognized. Just seek to be worthy of the recognition, right? Let your actions speak for themselves. Yeah. So I have no problems personally sharing every bit of information I have. Yeah. Because that might save me from having to deal with some catastrophe later on. And and I know for a fact that I've not necessarily taken, but I've researched other people. I've researched functions or names or even malware itself. And other people have had amazing write-ups where I'm like, wow, okay, you saved me. I understand everything you did here. Right. You saved me hours, maybe days in some cases worth of work. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to go use that to benefit the organization and the fight that we're doing on this side here. So part of that is giving that community back, you know, Hey, giving that praise to people and saying, hey, thank you for your work. I appreciate it instead of just taking it and walking away, but also resharing, you know, putting out blogs, forums, even something on Twitter and be like, hey, look at this amazing write up this person did. Yeah. And kind of being the evangelist of it and promoting that this is a communal effort and it's not us against each other. And at the same time, fighting all the adversaries on the other side. Yeah, I think you're right, because, you know, the thing is. There's a there's enough work for everyone. I can promise you that, and it is not it's 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 not gonna go away. It it will not go away. I mean, it'll only get you know. It might move, right? You know, it, we, you know, everyone's gonna be utilizing you know some sort of AWS or Azure or some system itself, but that still is a physical. Actually, it's it's living Absolutely. here. I mean, it's always the same. So I I don't think it's going to go. And as more things come online, you know, everything's everything's online right now. And there's so many different types of endpoints and vectors and all these different layers that it's only going to. I I, I mean, so going to increase. I, I, it will. It will. It will completely increase. But the problem is, is I think that we're behind. You know, in in kind of the sharing and trying to get some things going on. But hey, we can talk forever on um the humanity of <laughs> yeah absolutely fir type of stuff um but uh it is so what i want you to go so i, I don't want to take it too too much we have just a little i want you to within three minutes give me the coolest coolest little if you want to talk remediation or the coolest little malware you found that did some crazy stuff and say you know, give people, man, where you might have to look for some of this. What's your number one honeypot? Well, that's a bad thing to say too, but your one place that you want to go that you're like, hey, every every investigation this is where you need to look. Absolutely. So um, my coolest story, I'll start there first, right? Uh, and actually me and James did this incident together. I was a young intern at the time, right? Working for an organization, once again, not going to say their name, not going to say what led to the catalyst that led to the situation, but they were breached. And everyone basically woke up to Sam Sam ransomware everywhere. Just like imagine walking to work and everything like the whole building's on fire, proverbially, right? That's exactly what happened. So I was part of the incident response team just because it was all hands on deck, every adventure. And um, at the time, my boss, who's a great guy, I still talk to him. He had a lot of faith in me, but 
some of the other people I was working with, they're like, oh, you're an intern, sit down in your corner, go get us coffee, do whatever, right? And it was very evident these people hadn't had true cybersecurity experience. They were cyber in name, but not in practitioners, right? Um, so I'm sitting there just doing my thing as a malware analyst and I'm, you know, got a copy of the code, um, at least the initial payload that somebody had found. And, you know, then I come up to my boss and I'm like, hey man, I know nobody wants to hear it, but here's all my analysis. Here's everything we should be looking for. And he just kind of started spawning off from there. So as an intern, I started directly affecting everything. And then my boss, my immediate boss, stock manager is like, hey, everyone stop what you're doing. Listen to this, pay attention to this. This is who we started. And it became one of the driving forces. And then James came in later on as a different capacity with the National Guard, with the military. Um, I basically at that time got told, hey man, you're an, you're an intern. You can't work more than 40 hours, go home. The National Guard calls me up. He's like, hey, man, uh, you want to come over with our cyber team? So I show back up next day in my in basically in uniform, if you will, as a member of the military. Like, hey, well, we're here to deal with this situation because it is a critical infrastructure being affected and a possible life safety nexus. And basically, we just went to work and started going from there. So as an intern, I eventually basically led to uh, full mediation of a major catastrophic event and almost fully reverse engineering Samsung ransomware. Band. Fantastic. Fantastic. So it was just curiosity, uh, research. Um, right. base, biggest places that I look at as uh, attackers do, attackers are always going to try to stay relevant. They're going to try, try to stay on your network, on your system in some way, shape, or form. Think of it like a virus in real world, right? It's trying to propagate and spread and stay alive in some way. Your body, just like your system, is that host that it's feeding resources off of, right? So registry keys. Your run, run once keys. So take a look at that uh, HKLM, HKCU hives. They're ha they're hanging out in their startup folders, right? So what I what I used to show my uh, junior analyst, I'd be like, here's MITRE, here's the MITRE attack framework. Go look at all the auto run methods. Right. Every single one of these are common places you need to look at. Keep a checklist and go through these. So even when I'm doing a basic a triage. I dump out the registry and take a look. Okay, is there anything in the run, run once key, for example? Is there anything in the startup folder? Is there anything services that are being set to run? Yeah. What is going on with these, you know, the common places? So um, are, these, are these services, where are they actually pointing to? And I say that because they might point to a different location on the system that now I can go look at and see what actually, what is it calling somewhere else, right? Um, the final thing that I would say commonly, I tell my young analyst, SOC analyst, or somebody interested in malware is uh, common prevalent, living, living off the land. A lot of payloads like to stay in memory these days. So how do we handle that situation, right? right? It may not write in the executable, the original executable might write on disk. Maybe it does and maybe it does not. Uh, TrickBot, for example, Windows 10, it would keep everything in memory. If you had it on a Windows 7 system, the same payload, it'd write the artifacts to disk because some of these uh, configuration settings weren't present in 7 and, and Windows 10, right? So um, it's going to stay in memory. So, okay, maybe I need more than just I'm a SOC analyst. Maybe I need to pick up a little bit of memory forensic skills. Right. And all these other skills you pick up tie in together to make this kind of functional, complete investigator, if you will. Right. Now, fantastic. Now, that's that's some that's some great great stuff. And it's it it's funny because I always say Windows. Windows is kind of like me now. Mm -hmm. I have to write everything down to remember it <laughs> because that's what Windows does, right? I'm everything. I'm the angry penguin. I'm a Linux guy. Exactly. My daily driver is Linux. System. I was just gonna say that's 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 good, right? Because Windows loves it. They it's just the natural uh, scratch pad. So awesome. My beer is done. Uh, I kept you a little bit long, but uh, again, I, it could have been longer for sure. So definitely going to have to have you back. I, I appreciate all of the, uh, the fantastic information that, uh, that you've shared for everyone. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, look forward to next time. And yeah, let's, next time let's get uh, let's do a deep dive in malware or something. Let's, oh, I think so. I let's think go further so. in. I'm yeah. going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to talk some old school stuff that I, uh, yeah, I actually, got into quite a bit of that Android stuff. So my, yeah. my first, I'll leave this thought out there. My first piece of malware was the Melissa virus. That was the first oh, one that, back in the, excellent. Yeah. so that's excellent. my introduction to like real world malware. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We'll look at it. Yeah. We will definitely talk about it. Awesome. I will see you again. I, uh, soon. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you. Excellent. Another fantastic, fantastic. I mean, honestly, um, can really kind of get into that, especially with and talking about uh, and talking about malware. And I think, well, you know, one of the, the important takeaways is, 
is to, you know, again, it all comes down to kind of community. Things change so quickly now, especially in the environments that, that, that we're in, that I think communication, speaking to that can kind of, I don't want to say shorten maybe the investigative side of it, but, you know, working together, um, taking things slow, trying to look and, you know, I maybe think like the bad guy uh, because, uh, because, again, as we're at home, as we're all doing all of these different types of things, um, just think about what you're doing, you know, at home when you're on the computer. Uh, you know, you might be in the forensic side of it. So you're like, hey, thinking about, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I, who would ever do that? People would. So, you know, think about some of those things, be able to go in and, and formulate and analyze um, some of those items. So, again, another great one. Um, I appreciate, uh, uh, you know, everybody, everybody watching. Uh, I believe next week might have uh, another, or yeah, yeah, for sure, another cybersecurity stuff because I kind of dig it. Um, and it's, you know, getting out of kind of my mobile phone side of it, but, uh, just learning a ton along with you guys. So I appreciate everyone's time. Everyone have a great weekend.